In the, in the 80s, this young man graduated with a degree in health education. Uh, for the next 20 years of his life, that's what he spent his time doing for seven of those years. I think it was seven. He was in the uh, National, or the Heart Foundation, National Heart Foundation of Australia. I never quite get that right, but we know what I'm talking about. You know the one with the tick? You know where you get the tick? And he spent a lot of his time there, is still closely associated with these people. He has a passion, and the passion is born from the pain and the trauma that he felt as a young man when a loved one, and he'll tell you the story, close to him was taken by Australia's most prolific killer. And he'll spend a little time telling you on that. So he speaks from experience. Here today to help you discover the beat of your healthy heart, will you please help me welcome to the stage one of Australia's leading heart health educators, Mr. Shane Stubbs. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, Shane. Thank you. Thank you, Rob, and uh, thank you, everybody, for coming along here this evening. You know, my role here, my function is to help you, as Rob said, to discover the beat of a healthy heart. And I've been doing this now for 20 years. And you can see here that we have, um, in 2010, we have some new things that are developing. And, I, and before I kick off, I want to introduce to you, by way of proxy, as it were, my business partner. Up on the slide here, you can see this is the cover of our new book that's coming out in 2010. And we're going to be talking a lot about plant sterile and rich foods that will help people discover the bit of a healthy heart. And I'll talk about that later on. But my business partner is a young gentleman called Troy Simmons. Now, I'm, we live in Sydney, and I'm not an AFL fan. Who is an AFL fan? Anybody here? Okay. Um, what happened was... Um, Troy Simmons came, he's the current ruckman for the AFL team, the Richmond Tigers. Just to put this in perspective, Troy Simmons has had an AFL career for 12 years. I spoke to him on the way here, telling him I was coming to talk to you, talk to folks. This is the last stop on our national tour of the Heart Health and Wellness Tour. And, I, and Troy informed me that he's just been voted in 2010 to the leadership group of the Richmond Football Club. What that means is there's a select group of about four athletes in that team who are voted by the coaches, the administration of the club and the rest of the players to be leaders of that team for 2010. And Troy's been included in that in his 12th year in the AFL. Here's the interesting thing is the average lifespan of an AFL elite professional athlete is four years. He's been doing it for 12 years. And the question people often have asked me over the last 12 months or so is, why would you have an AFL player on your, involved with Shane's Pulse, basically Troy's my business partner, and uh, why would he be involved? Why would an elite athlete be involved with discover the beat of your healthy heart? And most people are sitting there and thinking, oh, it must be to do with physical activity. You see, we have three pillars in our company. Cardioprotective activity, cardioprotective eating, and cardioprotective attitude. So people often think to, think to themselves when they hear this, well, he must be involved with cardioprotective activity. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Let me share with you some things about Troy and why he's involved with this whole process of discovering the beat of a healthy heart. In 2007, Troy was playing against the Premier's Geelong at the Geelong football ground called Cardinia Park. It's down in Melbourne. 
and, uh, and he's playing for Richmond. And if you don't know AFL, um, which I didn't, the ruckman is the person who knocks the ball out of the, ha- out of the hand. Uh, when they bounce the ball, they knock it with their hand to the next player, okay, for those of you who don't know. So every time they kick a goal or a point, a uh, goal, he, they bring it back to the centre and he knocks it out. So he's heavily involved in the game. He's six foot six. He's a very, very mobile athlete and very, very fit and very elite. But in 2007, this is what happened to Troy Simmons at 28 years of age. He's on the, ga- on the ground for one minute after they tap the ball. And he comes to the sideline. Let's just say, for example, this is the sideline just here. He comes to the sideline, puts his hands on his knees, says to his fitness staff, he's, <laughs> he's like, I've got no breath. I'm out of breath. Anyway, he gathers himself for, for a minute on the sideline, runs back out to the centre of the oval where his position is mainly held, and two minutes later he's back on the sideline. This is an elite professional athlete. Anybody see that Lance Armstrong, the athlete, is in town in Adelaide? He flew into Adelaide yesterday or the day before, the same day that we flew into Adelaide to do this tour. And uh, um, Lance Armstrong has an aerobic capacity of 85%. It's one of the highest in the world. It means his heart-lung fitness is enormous. Troy Simmons, at 31 years of age and 6 foot 6, has an aerobic capacity of 60%. The average person sitting here in the audience who doesn't get involved in cardioprotective activity on a daily basis, at least five days a week, yours is somewhere between 18 and 25%. And I can tell you that without even having to do a test on you. So here's Troy, this elite professional athlete, aerobic capacity of 60%, which is huge. Most of us could train a lifetime, we'd never get to 60%. He's a little genetically blessed, but he worked and worked and worked. And two minutes later, he's got no breath. <laughs> he's out of breath. Anyway, he, he comes off. He, he goes to, to get diagnosed over the next four weeks. got to cut this a bit short. Over the next four weeks, Troy goes to get diagnosed about what's wrong. They said, oh, mate, you've got intercostal pain, like rib cartilage damage. Then they said, uh, you know... Um, it, uh, it, it, it could be this or it could be that. And he continued to get chest pains. They gave him, he's a tough man, you've got to be to play those kind of sports. And he finally gave in to take some pain medication. But he still had chest pain. Who has chest pain at 27 when they're an elite professional athlete playing for about that stage about 9, 10 years? Anyway, four weeks later, it's so bad on a Saturday night, he checks himself in to Epworth Hospital in Melbourne. And they put him on one of those scanners. You know the scanners that they have where you lie on the bed and it goes along you? Well, what happens is a nurse notices something in his lung. And she says, Troy, I don't want you to move. She goes and gets a, a heart specialist and comes back. And, and the heart specialist looks at the scan and says to Troy, don't get off this bed. We're going to wheel you up to a hospital ward. You're going to stay in this bed for seven days. We're going to give you some powerful Heart, open heart surgery drugs, some drugs that open heart surgery patients get. It's called warfarin. You've got something called a pulmonary embolism. Let me tell you what that is. It's a blood clot that starts in your leg and travels up your leg, goes up through the big femoral artery in your leg, goes through your heart into your lungs. And it lodged in his lung. And he had to stay in bed for seven days. He was out for the rest of the season. The doctor came to him and said, you know, you're going to have to be here for uh, the next seven days. And the week after, Richmond were playing Geelong. 
And Troy goes to the doctor. He said to, he said, he's relaying the story to me. And he goes, so will I be good for the Geelong game? And it's like, oh, no, mate, you're out for the rest of the season. Sorry about that. And so um, Troy gets on this course of drugs called Warfarin to thin his blood to get rid of the clots. And some of you in this audience may have been on Warfarin. And it's a very, very powerful anticoagulant drug used for people who have heart problems, may have... Sorry? Arsenic, this lady said. And it's a very powerful drug. And here's the elite athlete playing in the AFL, wanting to get back out there. Six months later, he's allowed to go off this drug and he goes in for the last blood check with the doctor. And the, the specialist sits him down and says, you know, Troy, you're a very lucky boy. He goes, well, what do you mean? What do you mean I'm a very lucky boy? That pulmonary, pulmonary embolism that you had six months ago, you had a 93% chance of dying. What? 93% chance of dying at 28 years of age as an elite professional athlete. Now, that set Troy Simmons on a course to discover the beat of his healthy heart. We met about a year ago. He came up to me and told me about his pulmonary embolism. And I knew what that was. And I asked him, because I don't follow AFL, and I said to him, uh, I said, so uh, what do you do for a living? mate?" You know when you meet someone for the first time, you go, G'day, how, what's your name? Jamie, what's your name? Lauren, Jamie, what do you do for a living, mate? Electrician, Lauren, what do you do for a living? Corporate manager. And so I said to, uh, I said to Troy, I said, oh, you know, first time I met him, and I said, oh, so what do you do for a living, mate? He goes, uh, oh, I play football. And I, I looked at him and go, what do you mean, you play football full time? I was like, oh, yeah, I play for this team called the Richmond Tigers. I go, oh, okay, I think I've heard of them. And so we struck up a friendship and... Uh, We've now become solid business partners because what Troy and I want to do, see the bottom of our book cover? I don't know if you can read it up there. I'll just get rid of this um, thing up here. Um, uh, the bottom of our book cover says 128 people will wake today in Australia and die of heart disease. Most are premature. Now, I'm not picking Friday, the 14th of January. I'm picking any day of any week, of any month, of any year. Um, one of the other people that we're looking to uh, do some work with with Shane's Pulse is the famous cricketer called Justin Langer. Who's heard of Justin Langer, the cricketer? Okay, Justin Langer, we've met, uh, Troy's met with him a couple of times. I met with him once. We're meeting with him again. And uh, Justin Langer's wife, uh, his wife's best friend died of a heart attack at 31. And... Um, so what we want to do, Troy and myself, and we're looking at, at uh, dealing with other people. We met last night, and, and this gentleman looks like um, coming into the Shane's Pulse uh, a business team. Who watched, who's seen The Biggest Loser, that TV show, The Biggest Loser? A lot of people. I've seen it. Well, I met last night for the first time in Brisbane the, the person who came third last year, Sharif Dean. You remember Big Sharif? Okay, we met with Sharif last night. And uh, I phoned him. I spoke to Sharif on the way here as well. And uh, he looks like starting up and doing some things with uh, Shane's Pulse to help people discover the bit of the healthy heart. Because it doesn't matter what day I pick. 128 people today woke up and died in this country, one person of every 10 minutes of every single day, of a heart attack or a stroke. Most are premature. And if you've heard me speak before, most are premature. And here's my story and my relationship to heart health. Most are premature like my father. 
I'm 23 years of age. I've just finished my degree in health education, physical education and sports science at Canberra University. I'm working in a fitness complex in Canberra. I get a phone call from my mother and I never get a phone call from my mother at work. You know what it's like? You get a phone call from someone you never expect who's close to you. I never get a phone call at work and she rings up and the, next three, the first three words I heard out of her mouth changed the direction of my life forever. It, uh, she said to me, love, dad's died. Now, I never knew how much it meant for a child to lose their parent from a sudden heart attack until my wife and I, in our mid-40s, had our first child six months ago next week. We got a little baby, Robert, um, whose, my middle name is Robert, his Father, grandfather, my father's middle name was Robert, so we called him, his first name Robert, and his second name is Donald, after my wife's father's middle name, Robert Donald Stubbs. And I left Robert this evening and Melanie back at home, and uh, he's six months old. And I never knew, I was thinking about this last night, I never knew, I was reading Justin Langer's book today, it's called Seeing the Sunrise. And I'm reading it, and he talks about um, sitting with another famous cricketer, after a, uh, a tour that they've done, a cricket tour, and they've both had a few too many ales that particular evening over there in Western Australia where Justin comes from. And um, inside this book, Justin describes that he never told his father that he loved him. So with a bit of beer courage in him, he goes over to a phone, because he didn't have mobiles then when they were touring back then, he goes over to a phone, rings up his father and says to, says to his father that he loves him. And I've never understood what it was like for a child to lose a father until we had Robert. Can you imagine my mother, 40, see, what I didn't tell you was my father was 47 years old. I don't know how old you are. I don't know how far you are, either past 47 or before 47. But you know what I didn't think about till recently was, what was my mother and father doing when my father died? See, what happened was they were standing at a... Uh, they, were, they lived in Port Macquarie. they just moved to Port Macquarie six months before and bought a mixed business, like a milk bar, a little hamburger place. And uh, my father, no one ever taught my father to discover the beat of his healthy heart. And so what happened was they're standing there looking to buy a new house and then all of a sudden my dad drops dead next to my mum. The doctors told my mum that it was so sudden he would have died before he hit the ground. It's called a massive coronary occlusion, blocking of the heart blood vessel. It happens tomorrow in this country, 128 people will wake up and they will not see the end of the day. Most are premature like my father. That's why I teach people. That's why I, want to, I, I go around the country. That's why we've created resources. Um, we've got things coming up this year with a national media campaign with Troy and myself We'll probably be on the AFL footy show. We're doing some other things that we really want to get people's attention with this topic. Because when you lose a parent at such a young age, I went on to work for the National Heart Foundation of Australia for the next seven years so that I could actually do what the title says. And I did find out some things. I'm going to share some of those things with you now about each slide on here is going to help you to discover something about your heart, something about what I call your personal heart health status. Some of these things you might know, some of these things you've never seen. Some of them are really simple. But I'll guarantee you that you can lower the risk of cardiovascular disease. But here's the tragedy of where we've come in the last 20 years 
as far as this particular topic is concerned. Look at the red circle. This year, 3.7 million Australians are living with heart disease. By the way, it's called the silent killer for a reason. You know, my favourite TV show on, 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 is called um, 24. It's got a, a guy called Kiefer Sutherland as the star. He stars as, a, as, a, uh, as an agent, like a, a CIA-type agent, Jack Bauer. And often I've seen him in some of the episodes over the years, comes up behind someone. You know those commando-type guys? They come up with someone with a knife and they have to take them out without any noise. And they just cut their throat, person falls down and they just keep walking off silently in the night. I call that stealth mode. You know what? That's heart disease. I'll tell you why. Heart disease could be living in your body and you don't know it. Because if you get a toothache, where do you go? Dentist. Why? It's painful and they'll fix it. If you get heart and blood vessel disease, I'll guarantee you, you won't feel it. See, my father dies at 47 next to my mum on those steps looking at the new house, but he got heart disease at 27, but no one ever told him. Why would you go to a doctor and get a heart check at 27 or 37 when you can't feel pain? You just wouldn't do it. But if you discover some of the basics about your personal heart health status, the heart that beats in your chest, and maybe share it with the person you love the most in the world, or your children or your grandchildren. See, it's not just the people in this room that I want to impact, who, came, who took the effort and the energy to come along here tonight. It's what you can do to go and pay it forward, and I'll show you why. Let's go around the, to the last blue circle. By 2040, we have an official research paper, myself and Choi, that says by 2040, 6.4 million Australians will be living with heart disease. Think about this, demographics. In this country today, we have about 11 million adults. Just in time for my son to be the age I am now, just in time, he and his contemporaries, 6.4 million of them will be living with heart disease and a high risk of a heart attack or a stroke that could prematurely end their life like it did his grandfather. What will the population of this country be in 2040? Would it double? No way. Maybe it'll be 12 or 13 million adults in 2040. Maybe. Let's be generous and say it's 15 million. But heart disease is going to go up and double in the next 20 or 30 years. Not might, not could, not, not it will go. And that's an official report that we've got from Dr. Lynn Roberts, the CEO of the National Heart Foundation of Australia, and they are the gold standard in heart health literacy. And I'll tell you why that is a little bit later on. That's the crisis that's coming. It's like a tsunami. I said to one of the gentlemen just over here before, two other countries, 155 million people living with heart disease in India, 190 million people living with it in China. Virtually every country that becomes a developed nation, do you know that heart disease kills four times more women than breast cancer in Australia? I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a focus on breast cancer. We should. I had a friend of mine passed away at a 47 last year. But heart disease kills four times more women than breast cancer in Australia and in most developed nations. I want to show you something now that's called a precursor. A heart attack can happen to you at 37, 47. God forbid that your children or grandchildren will die from you, die before you, from a heart attack or a stroke because they never understood a disease called atherosclerosis. It's a quick video. You've got to watch this. I'll make a few comments and we'll keep moving. I want you to learn and discover something 
about a disease called atherosclerosis. We're about to embark on a journey inside the body, deep into our arteries. Our mission is to find a killer, one whose work can start while its victims are still in early adulthood, and the diseases it causes are the leading cause of illness and death. This killer is atherosclerosis. Some people may not have heard of atherosclerosis, but the risk factors that contribute to it may be familiar and include obesity, elevated blood pressure, diabetes, a family history of heart disease, high cholesterol, or simply growing older. All affect our arteries. Some things we can change, like stopping smoking or changing what we eat, while others, like our family history or our age, we can't. But we can all take steps to reduce our risk of suffering a heart attack or a stroke by improving the health of our arteries. To understand how we can improve the health of our arteries, we will need to take a closer look. So sit back, relax and enjoy. We are now in an artery, traveling with red blood cells that carry oxygen to major organs throughout the body. And this is cholesterol. You may have heard about cholesterol, but did you know there are different types? The most important are LDL cholesterol, known as the bad cholesterol, because it can lead to clogged arteries. And HDL cholesterol, called good cholesterol, because it is believed to help remove cholesterol from the body. Generally, our aim is to keep good cholesterol levels high and bad cholesterol levels low. When there is too much bad cholesterol in the blood, this can cause serious problems. When there is damage to the lining of the artery caused by, for example, high blood pressure, LDL cholesterol is more likely to enter the wall of the artery. When LDL or bad cholesterol enters the damaged wall of the artery, it changes and can lead to inflammation. Over time, inflammation in the artery wall creates something known as a plaque. Plaques can start forming at an early age, and over time, this can lead to clogging of the arteries. This can happen in a number of different sites around the body and can get progressively worse over time. This chronic process, known as atherosclerosis, can become life-threatening, depending on whether the plaque is stable or unstable. A stable plaque can continue to grow, slowly reducing blood flow over time by hardening and narrowing the artery, but does not necessarily completely block the flow of blood. But sometimes even a small plaque can become unstable and rupture, exposing its contents. This is much more dangerous than a stable plaque, because a clot can quickly form, completely blocking the flow of blood. As stable plaques form and cause narrowing and hardening of the arteries in the legs, the blood flow is restricted, sometimes making it painful to walk. Elsewhere in the body, the effects of plaque rupture can be immediate. A blockage in arteries supplying blood to the heart can cause a heart attack. A blockage in arteries supplying blood to the brain can cause a stroke. So what can we do to help maintain healthy arteries? Addressing our risk factors will benefit our general health and the health of our arteries. We can stop smoking, change our diet, exercise more, 
With the help of your doctor, you can manage other conditions that may affect your arteries. Of course, some things, like your age or your family medical history, you can't change. If you were concerned about atherosclerosis and the health of your arteries, talk to your doctor about having your blood pressure, blood sugar, and levels of good and bad cholesterol checked. If you have seen your doctor and are being treated, continue to follow your doctor's instructions. You know, you do not drop dead like my dad over here at that house suddenly. It's a disease of accumulation. You develop an atherosclerotic plaque, you develop that way back when. I was talking to, um, uh, you know, they talked talk about sh a stroke just then, okay? There's a term in health education called capital D-A-L-Y. It stands for Disability Living Years. I'm talking to Sharif, the big, from The Biggest Loser, on the way here. He describes to me when he's 13 years of age, his grandmother has a stroke at about her late 50s. That's not old especially those of us who are heading towards their late 50s. It's not old, okay? And she has a stroke. For the next seven years, she's in a wheelchair and paralyzed and then dies. That's called disability living years. See, it's not just a heart attack or stroke that kills. And by the way, 128 people will die today and tomorrow and the next day, one person every 10 minutes in this country. It's lucky you don't live in America. It's one person every six seconds prematurely, of a disease that is caused to yourself. I'll show you how in just a minute by discovering some things. And so it doesn't happen all of a sudden. It happens way back when. If you do not develop a cardioprotective attitude, you're at risk. I tell you, you are at risk. We are growing to 6.4 million of us in this country. And there's virtually no private companies, private entrepreneurs or individuals who are drawing people to this message. And that's what Troy Simmons and I are doing, along with the other people that we're adding to our particular way of talking to people. That big red artery up the top, that's uh, one of the ones that got blocked in my dad, completely blocked off from atherosclerosis, the plaque, and he dies at 47. That's what your heart looks like in your chest. It's about the size of your fist. But it's stealth. You can't feel it. You can't see this kind of stuff happening. And that's why people are dying. Because no one is out there trying to teach the adult population how to live their lives so the ones coming behind will do something. A lot of concentration is on the children at school. Mine is not. Mine is with the community and people who have left school. Let's discover the next thing that I want to share with you tonight. And I say teach because that's really what it is. This is a... Uh, article that, come, that became published this week in a magazine called the Journal of Epidemiology. It's a research mag uh, magazine. It's not something the average person reads. And it says the resting heart rate matters. Your resting heart rate is how many times does your heart pump while sitting in a chair in a one-minute time frame? Okay, The average person in the country has no idea how many times because you're not an athlete, so you're not concerned with it. My heart resting heart rate, I'm involved in cardioprotective activity five to six days a week. My resting heart rate at 43 years of age is about 61, 62 beats a minute. 
My wife, who is 45 years of age, has a resting heart rate of 55 beats a minute. My business partner and good friend, Troy Simmons, a lead athlete in the most watched football code in this country, the opening game of the season in 2010 will be Richmond versus Carlton. There'll be 85,000 people at the MCG. His resting heart rate is 45 beats a minute. Now, the average person, if you're sitting here, or if you know someone who's not here, that is not involved in cardioprotective activity, and if you don't know what that is, I haven't got time, but we've got a CD over there. You can have a look at that later on. But if you're not involved in it five days a week, yours is probably 80 beats a minute, between 80 and 100 beats a minute. If you, if you know, you know whether you're involved in cardioprotective activity, walking five days a week, cycling, swimming, some kind of aerobic classes, some kind of weight training, or a combination thereof, you know, the rowing machines, the treadmills, just walking around the neighbourhood. My wife walks seven to eight kilometres a day. Took the baby out in the pram this afternoon and went for a walk. I've got a back injury, so I do a lot of cycling on the stationary bicycle because I've got to get around that back injury. It says here that in men and pretty much women, a pulse of 101 beats a minute or more, they were 73% more likely to die of something called ischemic heart disease compared to those people with a heart rate between 61 and 72. This is a discovery for you. If your resting heart rate is 80 or above, you need to get it lower. How do you lower it? Through cardioprotective activity. If you don't, you're at risk of moving into that category of people that end up having a heart attack or a stroke. And it's growing, not decreasing. And there's a lot of reasons why. We'll share some of those in a minute. I want you to discover what your resting heart rate is and help other people. There's a syndrome in this country. Well, it's no, sorry. There's a syndrome worldwide. It's a medical condition. Doesn't get, I'm not a doctor. I don't diagnose these things. I'm an educator. I share things with you, help you to find out things, and you go off on the journey because I'm talking to you about you. I'm not talking to your neighbours. I'm not talking to the people you work with. I'm talking to you about you. I want you to change because it's important to me. I don't want to happen to you in your family what happened to mine. Because, you know, I, I, I know, like the pain of that is still so fresh for me. I'm not as emotional about it because I spoke last night and I was very emotional. One of the things I said was um, after my father passed away and we had the funeral, um, you know, uh, we sat down in the lounge room. We were watching the cricket that year, 1989, in the lounge room, and the front door was just near where we were sitting. And, you know, I kept thinking to myself after the funeral about three days later, any moment my father's going to walk back through that door. He's just, he was a house painter, and when, when, when um, work was slow, he used to go and travel a little bit to go and get some jobs away and go away for two or three weeks. And it felt to me like he was just, he was gone away for a little while, but he'll walk back through the door. He couldn't have died. He was only 47. And he never came back through that door. And that's what I don't want to happen to you. If you don't check your resting heart rate and find out what it is by tomorrow, you won't do it because you'll forget what you've learned here. If you want the PowerPoint presentation, you can, I'll email it to you. But you'll forget. You need to have your resting heart rate below 80. That's a discovery and helping us to understand it. Um, 
I'll, I'll, put the, I'll put a preface here. Overweightness and obesity in this country is not the fault of the person who's overweight or obese. That's a pretty unusual statement for someone like me to say. Because, you know, most of the people in this country who talk about this will tell you it's your fault. I'll share with you in a minute some evidence of why I suggest that it's not entirely your fault. I don't believe that most people who are overweight want to be. But I do believe that there are circumstances in our society and a lot of us to do with what we call our food supply. That means you're getting sold up the river by food companies that stick stuff in supermarkets and you go there and you've got certain selection. But let's look at the topic and address it. Not to address it to you and as an individual if you feel that you're overweight. It's just to learn about it and then go on a bit of a journey with us in helping to discover the beauty of your healthy heart. I don't ever want to confront people. I don't ever want people to feel like, oh, he's talking about me and I, you know, I, don't want to be, I don't want to address that issue. That's a bit personal. I don't want to do that. I just want to help you discover something. A greater proportion of premature death and illness in Australia is now caused by excess body fat compared to smoking or compared to high cholesterol. It's a disease in and of and by itself. It's causing more deaths than smoking and cholesterol. 7.4 million Australian adults are either overweight or obese. How would you know? How would you know if you fit into that category? There's a program put together by the federal government called Measure Up. You've seen the ad on television where they walk along the tape measure, but you know, they kind of almost forget to tell you what the measurements are. Now, I'll tell you the measurements, then I'll tell you something about them that you need to understand. A waist measurement of greater than 94 centimetres for men and 80 centimetres for women puts you at risk of a heart attack or stroke. If you go over 88 centimetres for women and 102 centimetres for men, you're in a danger zone for heart attack or stroke. You know, it's very, very tight, hard work for most people in this country to get below those figures. Why do we say that? Why do health educators in the medical field talk about that? Here's why. If you have measurements that are higher than that, we know that you have fat coating your heart, your liver, your pancreas, and your kidney. And that will put you at risk of a cardiovascular event. So if your waist measurement is higher than that, if you have enough courage to get a tape measure out and check yourself out, you might see you've got this much distance or this much distance before you get back to where it is on that tape measure. But I'll tell you now, if you do not take that measurement and then seek some help on how, because it, you know, to use some vernacular, it's bloody hard to get down below that once you go past. It is not easy. It takes a certain attitude. And that's one of the things that, that, that we teach is attitude. You know, when I'm talking to Sharif this afternoon, that man was something like 170 kilos. And he got down to, I can't remember what it was, but he lost 72 kilos, got down to 100. He's a big, tall guy. Really tall, about six foot four, I think. And he got down to 100 kilos. It took an attitude. Consequently, one third of the Shane's Pulse message is cardioprotective attitude. That's why we want Sharif as a part of our team so that he can produce some resources with us to teach people how to, de how to develop and learn and pick up the attitude that he picked up. We're excited about that and I'm excited in talking to him about it. Okay. Who's ever had their blood pressure measured by, by the doctor? 
You're going, who's ever, like the doctor says, oh, your blood pressure's okay, uh, this is the number, um, your blood pressure's not okay, we're going to have to watch that. You go back a bit later, oh, your blood pressure's a bit high. Who's ever heard that from someone? Blood pressure's a bit high. A lot of people have, right? Has a doctor ever told you what high blood pressure, why it's a problem? What, 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 what does it do to you? His doctors actually tell people, what does blood pressure do? I've asked this question to hundreds of audiences and never do I get the answer. No, you know what? The doctor has, they just told me it's high. But they haven't related it back in an education way to, well, what does it do to my body? Watch this short video. And it's called, Why Does, What Does Hypertension Do? Watch this and I'll make, it, it links to that first video. If you understand and discover a high blood pressure and what that's about, it will help you in one of those, or part of the journey to help you discover what you can about heart health and your personal heart health status. Well, watch this video. It'll come up here in just a sec. Hello, I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker. When we're under stress, we often say our blood pressure is climbing through the roof. And it's true. Stress and activity do temporarily increase blood pressure. That's normal and it's usually nothing to be worried about. But when you have hypertension, your pressure is consistently high, even when you're at rest. Everyone needs some blood pressure. Without it, blood couldn't move through our bodies, bringing much needed oxygen to our organs and muscles, and then carrying away carbon dioxide and other waste. The system of vessels that carries blood through the human body is over 60,000 miles long. That's long enough to go around the world more than twice. So how does blood travel all that distance? It starts with the heart. About 80 times a minute, blood is pumped into and out of the heart muscle. Blood flows into arteries branching out from the heart. From there, blood flows into smaller arteries called arterioles. Blood makes its trip throughout the body and then into veins where it returns to the heart. To put the cycle in perspective, an adult heart pumps about five quarts of blood a minute, or 2,000 gallons a day throughout the body. The arterioles act as the gatekeepers of blood flow. When they open, blood flows through freely and exerts very little pressure on vessel walls. But when these vessels are constricted, that's where the trouble can start. If your heart is pumping extra hard to move blood through the body, over time, this can take a toll on your arteries. Normally, arteries are rubbery and will flex with each beat of the heart as blood moves through. The smooth inner walls of the arteries allow blood to flow freely. But if the arteries must stretch as the heart pumps blood through them more forcefully, the inner walls can develop tiny grooves of microscopic scar tissue. Cholesterol and other deposits can get trapped in these grooves, creating atherosclerotic plaque. If this plaque grows, the arteries can become stiffer and narrower. Stop that video there. I'm going to go to the next slide here in a sec. You see the link? What high blood pressure does is year after year after year, the blood rushes through, causes microscopic tears, a lesion on artery walls. Could be in your legs, could be in your chest, could be in your neck, could be in your arms. And cholesterol and fat deposits get into those tears. That's what high blood pressure does. If you've got high blood pressure or you know people that do, a doctor will treat it. But you can do things yourself to, quote, inverted commas, treat it. You can learn about cardioprotective eating. 
and cardioprotective activity. There's no way in the last few minutes that I've got here that I can share with you all that I need to share about that. I'm almost unashamedly able to promote the stuff that we have. A DVD, we've got three CDs on the three areas of our three pillars. We have an eight-week electronic course called Heart Care. It has a position statement of approval by the National Heart Foundation of Australia. It's the only kind of outside agency, our company, that has worked to work in conjunction with their gold standard of heart health education. In that eight weeks, you work at your own pace, but you get video email, downloadable audios that are passcoded. We've just added video email into the program. We have people like myself and Troy on there. We're going to invite people like Sharif and Justin Langer and a whole host of other people. We're uh, currently uh, uh, feeling out, if you like, someone that you see every night on television. I won't say who it is. It's a particular TV star that you see every night. We're negotiating with them to be on our heart care program where we will teach you all these different things that you need to learn to lower your risk of cardiovascular disease. So I'm not going to talk to you about what kind of... I'll show you something about foods that contribute to atherosclerosis. Now, on these photos, I can't really talk about the companies here, so the top photo in that corner up there uh, that does contribute to atherosclerosis because of the way they're made, the things that are in them, because no one teaches us to read a food label. Um, I w I'm not allowed to say Arnott's biscuits, okay, because I get in trouble for that, particularly with recording this. Um, the bottom one over there, Coca-Cola, I'm not allowed to say their name either. Okay, that contribute to atherosclerosis. I'm not allowed to say Shapes Biscuits, Smith's Chips, I certainly couldn't say those guys up there. Um, Red Bull and those other energy drinks, I couldn't say that. Um, I wouldn't be allowed to... Uh, bigger, bigger cheese. You know why I say bigger? Because I grew up in that town. I actually used to run to the milk factory every morning when I was training for, to be a boxer. I was an amateur boxer, and I used to run from my house about 5Ks out and 5Ks back and training for boxing, i go out, I'd run to the end of the bigger bridge, I'd touch the, the wall of the cheese factory, I'd run back home. I didn't know back then that that's a food item that contributes to atherosclerosis, but it does. Lollies on the end over there. Um, now, here's the, here's the caveat. This next statement will allow me to get out of trouble in terms of all those companies and them taking Shane's pulse off the court and so forth. By and of themselves, the one single item that you consume, and by the way, that's just a snapshot. I took my iPhone and went around my local supermarket just taking a few photos, okay? But there's lots and lots and lots of other items that contribute to atherosclerosis. By and of themselves, none of the food items and companies that I've just mentioned, I'm not picking on any of those in particular, none of them by themselves cause atherosclerosis. But you know what? You don't consume them by themselves. You have one here, you have a little bit over here, you have a little bit over here, and a little bit over here. If they were act acting in collaboration, then you could say that they cause it, but they don't. Eating two, two chocolate biscuits like Tim Tams or whatever they might be, that won't cause atherosclerosis. But it's later that night when you have red fatty meat that gets into the artery walls and have it too regularly, combined with the Tim Tams, combined with the other biscuits that you might eat, combined with the chips you might eat three days before that, that's what causes atherosclerosis. So I'm not bringing up the companies other than to make you aware that lots of packaged food combined gives us too much saturated fat, too much sugar, the two items that lead to help lead to atherosclerosis. And I haven't touched on smoking. We also have these other things up here. You know, um, that one in the top corner, 
that particular company and that particular burger had $10 million to advertise it when it launched. $10 million bucks. No wonder we eat the stuff. It's their biggest selling item ever. And one burger gives you a quarter of your kilojoule intake for the day. You know, most people, by the time they get to dinner, have eaten 12,000 kilojoules a day. Remember I said if you've got a waist measurement over 94 centimetres, you're coating the heart with fat as well? Well, one of the reasons you get over 94 centimetres is you get to the end of the day before you have dinner and you've already eaten 12,000 kilojoules. If you're not active, you should only be eating about 8,000. One of those burgers gives you 2,600 and it doesn't fill you up. Uh, the 2020 cricket is sponsored by that particular chicken company. And it's like, well, if it's on the cricket, it must be okay to eat. It must be safe. It's safe if you eat it every now and then. Okay? But by and of itself, it won't cause atherosclerosis. But combine them all up and wrap them into your shopping trolley. Or as you, where I live, there's a four-way section, and they've got every fast food franchise that's ever been invented on there. We've got about eight fast food franchises on one four-way intersection. Look what the AFL did. They... Um, they had the picture of O'Loughlin there and the yellow, the, the supporters, O'Loughlin's just kicked the goal and all the yellow supporters are going like this. And a very inventive hamburger company decided to replace that O'Loughlin with a hamburger and fries and so now those supporters are going, come on heart disease! Well, they're not really doing that but they might as well be, okay? And that's the kind of marketing messages and the tricks that food companies play. I'm going to leave that one there. Um, because we're not going to get to it. I'm going to kind of get towards the end here and wrap up because I want to hear from uh, Dr. JB. He is tremendous. He's going to go through some food technology and some other things that I find fascinating in relation to the work that I do. Because we're not, we don't know, I didn't even meet him until this tour. Why do I teach? Because of the picture that you see on the screen. If I was to die at the same age as my father, my baby boy would live to see his dad to be four years of age. He never, he'll never see his grandfather. His grandfather died 20 years ago. And it's a tragedy, all the things that he misses out. If I don't take steps to improve my personal heart health status, I increase my risk of a heart attack or a stroke. I increase my risk of being one of the 6.4 million that will live with heart disease and maybe not live with it for very long. Okay? So that's my wife, my beautiful wife, Melanie. And, uh, you know, we're building a life together and we have a baby and I feel responsibility and consequences of actions thank you very much I appreciate that that's very nice of you to say that that's because I have a beautiful wife um, thank you let me wrap up the heart care program I'll talk about later on you get something in it called heart check we're going to get you to work with your doctor and Shane's pulse we're going to give you a score as a percentage out of a hundred of your risk of a heart attack or stroke in the next five years. Okay, there's a, on that flyer on your seat is an offer that we have had for this national tour that we've just done. You get heart learning, you get heart support. We talk a lot about heart food. We have some celebrity interviews. I've talked about some of those this, um, this evening already. Video email and some bonus audio learning. Heart support is you get to communicate with us. Well, you actually get to communicate with me. Because at this point in time, our company is at the point where I'm still, I still want to do all the communication. So you can email questions over that eight-week period and you can talk to us as much as you want about your personal questions. And if you've got things that you need to fix and improve, we'll send you off in the right direction because our heart health education is a trusted source and a trusted brand. Um, 
I want to thank you for listening and coming along this evening. As I said, I can't wait to hear Dr. JB. The stuff that I've shared with you tonight might just save your life. It might just save the life of a loved one. But you need to do something about it. You need to discover the beat of your healthy heart. We've done it in just a small snapshot tonight. So thank you. I'd love to hand it back to Rob.